loan officers. Join the mortgage calculator as an MLO for unlimited mortgage leads and up to 250 BPS compensation. So welcome, everyone. My name is Kyle Hershey. I'm the COO of the Mortgage Calculator, joined here by our president, Nick Hershey, and our sales manager, Jose Gonzalez. Today is the loan officer sales or excuse me, training series on property vesting is what we're going to be going over here today. So our sales manager, Jose, with 28 years of experience as both a loan officer and a realtor, is going to do a little deep dive here into property vesting and the different options and the pros and cons of them. So I'll go ahead and turn it over to you, Jose. All right. Good afternoon or good evening, everybody, depending on what part of the country you're in. Uh, thank you for joining us for tonight's uh, very interesting topic on property vesting. Now, I mean, a disclaimer I want to throw out there from the beginning is we're not attorneys, right? And we don't propose to be attorneys, nor we, nor do we recommend anybody who's a loan officer to uh, think that they're going to be giving legal advice to their borrower. This is more anything else to enlighten you on what property vesting is, what, you know, the importance of it, so you can basically empower your borrowers and have them seek any type of legal advice about property vesting, especially important couple buying a property, you know, there's different ways you can hold title to avoid probate, stuff like that. So it's always good to add value as an MLO by touching those points and always then referring them to a valuable member of your team, whether it be the accounting side or the legal side or title, whatever it may be. We always want to make sure that we have people ready, willing, and able that we can recommend for these types of specialty topics. Now, property vesting is really important. Also, when we start considering uh, investment properties, properties held by multiple individuals who are not married or not related, they just you know investing together in a property. So then uh, we start coming up with different ways that we can hold title which is the vesting part, so that it can be equitable and make sense. So let's jump right into it and get into a little of our property vesting basics, right? So, you know, what is property vesting? Well, vesting defines who owns a certain property and how title is held. Now, obviously, that's really important because how a property is vested can change the owner's ability to be able to finance that property, to sell it, to be able to transfer a property via a will. So all of that is going to be a lot easier if the property is in the correct vesting. Vesting can be in a personal name or, more importantly, for our business purpose loans, vesting can be in an entity. Now, I want to touch base a little bit on our business purpose loans, you know, which a couple of things here now, right? So we, we love our business purpose loans, especially the ones that we can originate in the states where we're not licensed. But in order for that to occur, it needs to be a true business purpose loans, loans which means A, 
the loan needs to close in an entity, and I'll touch base on those entities in a minute, but it needs to close in an entity, and then it has to be a loan not using the personal income of the borrower, which means that even if it's a business bank statement loan, for example, for, for all intents and purposes of the law, uh, that is not a business purpose loan. That's just a loan where you're using business bank statements to calculate the borrower's personal income because that uh, loan is going to uh, qualify the borrower based on a certain income and calculate a certain debt to income, DTI. So that would definitely, any loan where you're going to see DTI as a variable that's being considered is not a business purpose loan. So a business purpose loan would be, for the types of loans that we can offer, either a DSCR loan, a debt service coverage ratio loan, which uses the gross rental income generated by the property to qualify the borrower. Basically, gross rental income divided by monthly housing PITI and, if applicable, association fee is what how you calculate the debt service coverage ratio, which is what's calculated for the DSCR loan. Another business purpose type loan would be a ground-up construction loan where the profit on the build and sale, whatever is the profit on the deal, is what's going to be used to qualify the borrower, borrower along with obviously credit and experience in ground of construction or not, we have options with no experience, but experience is going to be a consideration in order for the rate and loan to value that will be offered. And fixed flip loan, which is another business purpose loan that uses the profit on the flip plus the borrower's experience and credit to qualify the borrower. At no point is there any personal income of the borrower used. And then we have also the true commercial loans that are going to be closing in an entity, not going to be using personal income of the borrower. Usually those will be a a certain type of a debt service coverage ratio. Those also would be true business purpose loans. So real important now to know, uh, you know, especially if you want to increase your footprint, your lending footprint as a loan originator, why, you know, you need to know these types of things. So vesting in a personal name, uh, so it's pretty obvious there, right? The owner is personally liable for the property. So we're talking about all aspects of the property, right? Whether it be the property taxes that are owed on that property, uh, whether it be the loan on that property, you know, now, obviously, now we're getting there into personal guarantee or non-recourse loan, which which can touch on in a minute. But right now, you know, the owner is personally liable, and then he would be personally responsible for the loan, or and, and personally responsible for liability uh, for any type of liability occurrence. You know, slip and fall, uh, you know, injuries on the properties or anything like that that you can consider owner personally injures somebody and now they're suing him, you know, personally and a lot of personally stuff going on, right? 
and and then if there is a judgment against that owner, anything that that individual has in their name is that's not depending on the state, obviously that you're in. You know, you may have a homestead protection for your primary in the state that you're in, but typically anything that's not your primary residence, they can, you know, a, a judge uh, can attach to it. So that's one of the dangers of, you know, having stuff in your personal name. You're going to have multiple properties in one name. So increase of liability there. So you can see, you could run down the whole list on on where this personal web, how, how wide it goes. But there's a whole number of things that are all in a personal name. So that that so in terms of holding title or vesting in a personal name, it could be either sole ownership, but we're talking about this one individual so far, or it could be co-ownership where title is held by more than one individual still in a personal name. So you have, you know, uh, depending on the state also, there's a number of different variations. So I just have some of the basic the most basic ones there, of which there are multiple variations, depending on the state that you're in and community property, not community property, homestead, state, all those kind of stuff. But you have tenants by the entireties. Uh, that's for spouses who are currently married. And this is for Florida, for example, one of the best forms of asset protection from outside creditors. Because the property is not divisible by creditors to satisfy the obligation of only one debtor spouse. So what does that mean? You got title in both names and it's tenants by the entireties. They they can't say, hey, I'm going to put a lien on your property because the other person doesn't owe on that debt. So, And again, that's a, a Florida example, but that's one way where we're using vesting for asset protection. Then we have joint tenancy with right of survivor survivorship. That's a good one for probate, a circumventing probate, because in that one there, the interest of the person that is deceased passes to the surviving uh, individual. That's why they call it with right of survivorship. Whoever surviving then inherits that other person's interest. It does not go to that other person's heirs right that's what that would be tenancy in common right where several parties own the property however percentages they have and upon their death their interest ownership interest goes to their estate and that could be distributed either according to a will or according to an heir i mean to a to a will or probate excuse me probate which is obviously probate costs money that's when you don't have a will you die intestate, and then uh, you have to pay money to get your money. But one of the issues there is, for example, a couple who had children from a previous marriage, right? Now they're married, you know, they have assets or maybe their property that they own together, and they may decide to take tenancy in common so that when one of them passes their estate, then they can will to their kids, if that's what they chose to do, for example, or not, and then they would be joint tenants with right of survivorship. If they wanted to say, you know, we want to own this house amongst ourselves, and, you know, whatever happens with the heirs is our separate decision, not like tenancy in common. So you can see how, and, and 
And again, you know, we're not attorneys. We don't uh, want to put ourselves out there as attorneys, but these are just certain things to, op- to let's say, open up the topic, start the, you know, start the conversation on this topic with your borrowers so that they can ensure that they know what they're getting into. You know, you can make sure they reach out to the title company, to the title attorney. And this is just additional ways that you can add value as a loan consultant and not just simply as an application taker. So now, vesting in an entity, real important to us, right? I mean, we love those business purpose loans at the mortgage calculator. And vesting in an entity is a requirement, like I mentioned, for a true business purpose loan. So those of us that want to have that big footprint definitely want to understand what all of this means and how to identify opportunities when we do have investors that do hold their property in an entity. Now you know you have additional lending opportunities with those borrowers. So what are some of the most common or the I would say the four most common, but the most common is going to be the LLC. That's the the most common for real estate purposes, at least. Then you're going to have an S-corp. Then you're going to have a C-corp and limited partnership. I think probably, I think limited partnership is probably a little bit more popular. But uh, those aren't really in order of popularity, just LLC for sure. But those are the four main types of entities. Most people don't think of limited partnership and C-corp, but they also are options for business entity Anything other than that, you would really have to review guidelines of wherever you're considering sending the deal uh, because we do have options for trusts as well, but it's very limited for trust, only a certain, a very specific kind of trust. And then the, you know, the trust will have to get reviewed before anything can close, of course. So trust are not not a very com not very common for real estate in the financing side, but definitely is an additional option. Now, vesting in an entity besides being a requirement for a business purpose loan does have some very good benefits. Now we were talking about all these liability all this liability exposure that an owner has when he's holding title in a personal name. Well, being vested in an entity is going to obviously help shield you from that. You know, you do have to consult with an attorney to make sure it's done in the proper manner so that it does work how you, you know, expect it to work out. But it will usually shield the owner from liability, from personal liability, or vice versa. You know, it will shield the owner from liability of that business of that property so anything that happens in that property or under that vesting only affects that property let's put it that way anything that affects under the vesting only affects that property and if this investor has 10 other properties uh, that are investment properties that are free and clear on top of that imagine that right and his you know he's not going to be susceptible for of legal action or it's going to be a lot harder for them to get to those properties if It's all based on an entity not having to do anything. With that being said, the investors that put multiple properties under the same entity is almost defeating the purpose 
of shielding uh, the properties from liability because if you have 10 properties and you have them all 10 in the same LLC name, okay, you're shielded personally and, and you know, and your personal issues can't go to the, that LLC. But if you have an issue with the LLC, now with, in one of the properties, they can go after the 10 properties that you own to try to find, you know, to try to satisfy the judgment that they receive. Investing in an entity usually is going to result in increased tax write-offs. You know, there's just more opportunities to, uh, to benefit from the tax laws that you can't necessarily do if you're investing in a personal name. Investing in an entity, definitely the way to go for multiple owners, especially multiple owners of an investment property. You know, so it really allows you to maneuver ownership also of the entity uh, and allow you to get an interest in a property that way. Now, I mean, obviously there's a couple of cons, but the main one, I guess, which is very nominal, if you're getting a good benefit, is that you do need to file an annual tax return. That's, that's, That's basically it. That's not a very big deal. That's going to affect most people there. That's the ticket for entry, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I mean, the depending on the type of LLC that you're getting, I would say that the one that's probably the costliest one would be, I believe, a Delaware type entity. You know, because that's where uh, an individual is trying to get as much anonymity as possible. Right, because basically in most of the states, you can just go do a search for the officer, and you'll find the entity that way. If John Doe, unless it's like a very common name, like this John Smith, for example, could be a bunch of John Smith with a bunch of different entities. So you know, people that want to feel a little bit more privacy, and this is gonna occur especially with talking about entities. Uh, this is those of you that are tr- wanting to specialize in working with foreign nationals. You know, I mean, foreign nationals all love holding their properties in an entity uh, as anonymous as possible. You know, because they don't. I mean, for they just don't want to be found. Their assets found. Uh, usually, they're coming here to the United States to have privacy of their assets. And, you know, they, you definitely, if you are dealing with foreign nationals and they haven't brought it up, you should definitely bring up the topic about investing in an entity so that they can get set up in the entity as soon as possible so that by the time you come to close the transaction, the entity's already set up. You already have a tax ID number for the entity as well. It's going to facilitate a lot of other things that, you know, filings that may be required for a for a national loan, no, for a national buyer, right? Because you have to worry about certain things for foreign national buyers when a foreign national becomes a seller, right? The FERPTA, right? It's a, it's a provision in the tax in the tax code that requires a certain amount of money proceeds to be held back from a transaction when a when a foreign seller is closing. And one of the ways to assist with that, the workarounds on that is to uh, hold title 
in an LLC, right? So obviously discuss all those strategies with your tax preparer and, and, and all that kind of stuff, but definitely very important to not wait until, you know, four or five days before closing. And in many cases also, you, you're going to know, uh, well, not in many cases, but there are cases where the investor it will require the foreign national borrower to take title in an entity, right? The reason being is in an, 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 a U.S.-based entity as well, the reason being that if any legal action has to be taken against the borrower for, you know, obviously non-payment. It's a lot easier to handle the whole procedure, I would imagine, including process, you know, you know, lawsuit and all that kind of stuff, documents that you have to serve upon individuals when you can serve them to the authorized representative of the entity here in the U.S. versus how you're going to give this, you know, have a process server go to like Columbia somewhere to track down the individual. So that's, you know, a lot lot of reasons why they would want to do it. So again, we already touched base on a couple of these additional benefits of vesting in entities and trusts. You know, we mentioned asset protection, avoiding probate, avoiding inheritance taxes and having additional flexibility with your tax write-off. So that's, that's just the icing on the cake, right? But the real benefits are what we mentioned earlier, liability, better accounting strategies. All right. looks like we have a question here. Very common question for newer loan officers. Is vesting in an entity, does that mean DSCR loan? And does DSCR loan mean you have to invest in an entity? That's a good one. Yeah, I knew that one would come up. Well, DSCR loans, you know, are just a debt service coverage ratio loan. Now, I'll talk a little bit then about a DSCR loan. A little context here. You do not have to close a DSCR loan in an entity. You can close DSCR loans in a personal name, and you can close DSCR loans in any of the entities that we just mentioned here. Now... Where vesting is a consideration for a DSCR loan is when the loan originator is looking to originate a loan in a state where the company and the loan originator are not licensed, right? So the workaround for being able to do that, originate a loan in a state where the company and the MLO is not licensed is for the loan, first and foremost, to be a true business purpose loan. In other words, closing in an entity, you know, borrower holding title in an entity, the loan being, for example, a DSCR loan. And then you would have to consult the business purpose memo and confirm if that state allows us to close that loan without a license. And Right now, we have 20 states that we can originate loans in, business purpose loans only, without a license. And then we have 24 other states in which we are. I think not 25, right? I think that we just get a a license. Oh, no, that was the processor. So that was 24 and 20, 20 non-licenses. So so again, to make a long story shorter, 
it is not a requirement to close a DSCR loan entity. I'll just leave that. And just to make it clear, too, it's the borrower's choice always what they close in. So, uh, you know, that's not your choice. If your borrower wants to close in their personal name, all the licensing issues kick into uh, gear there. And there's not going to be a way around that. You can't try to force your client to close in an entity, trying to say that they need to close in an entity. You know, I've heard of that. Remember that it's always your client's choice if they want to close in an entity or their personal name, however they want to vest the property is always up to them. All right. I don't see any other questions. So I think we can wrap it up here. Remember we do this at 7 PM Eastern time on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So we'll be back here next week with another topic. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Jose. We'll see you next week. Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern for the next episode of the Loan Officer Training Series with the Mortgage Calculator. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks, all. Good evening, everybody. Loan officers, join the Mortgage Calculator as an MLO for unlimited mortgage leads and up to 250 BPS compensation.